Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is episode 12 of season 6, my US road trip part 2. In this season I kick things off with two weeks in New Orleans. There I head to a couple of competitions and spend some time hanging out with the who's who of Southern Barbecue. From there it's up to Kansas City for four days of Barbecue Nirvana at the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's Annual Conference and Excellence Awards. The final two weeks of the journey see us head into Arkansas for some R&R, including bass fishing, monster trucks, a state cook-off association competition, an AK-47, and a brush with a tornado. And of course, you're coming with me. There's one world champion barbecuer who's done so much to grow the barbecue scene in Australia that we should just make him an honorary Australian. And that man is Andy Groneman, pitmaster of Smoke on Wheels competition team. Born and bred in Kansas City, Andy preaches KC-style barbecue around the US and indeed the world. And so he was the perfect person for us to get a lesson from on what makes Kansas City barbecue so unique. With summer coming up, it's time for a new favorite barbecue t-shirt, and I've got just the thing for you. Drawing inspiration from the iconic barbecue pop culture art by Gil Elvgren, the Hail Mary tee is black like all good barbecue shirts should be, comes in both men's and women's cuts in a variety of sizes, and of course, features Mary. She likes her barbecue smoky, spicy, and just a little bit naughty. Check her out now at smokinghotconfessions.com shop. I'd also like to invite you to join us at the Smoking Hot Confessions community on Facebook. If you're looking for a barbecue group full of open-minded people who just love to help each other out, the Smoking Hot Confessions community is a great place to continue the conversation. Finally, however you listen to this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. It really helps me spread that barbecue love. So without further ado, grab yourself some Kansas City-style ribs and some bourbon, and join me as I learn all about what makes Kansas City-style barbecue so unique. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? If you want good barbecue, you need good charcoal. And when it comes to charcoal, the denser the wood, the better the charcoal. This is where Dragon's Breath Charcoal comes in. It's made from Australian native Gigi, famous for being the third most dense wood in the world, which means you're going to get 100% quality 100% of the time. The manufacturer of Dragon's Breath Charcoal was founded in 2005 and is the largest charcoal manufacturer in Queensland. A company founded in firm principles and values, the manufacturers of Dragon's Breath seek out opportunities to serve the community, starting with their work in the environmental restoration of Southwest Queensland sheep and cattle stations. Over the years, they've developed dietary charcoal products for livestock and horses and pets. And now there's garden and agricultural soil products that help keep moisture in the soil while it takes CO2 out of the atmosphere. Dragon's Breath Charcoal will be launching on Amazon in November, so stay tuned for more info soon. Well, Andy, thanks for coming on the show and welcome to The Confessional. We've been chatting back and forth. I've been running into you at Burley Barbecue and then over at Kansas City at the MBBQA for, what, two years we've been catching up now. 
This is the first time I'm going to have you on the for a full episode. I'm super excited, mate, and welcome aboard. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it, man. So to kick things off, mate, what was the last thing that you barbecued? The last thing that we had on uh, the grill over the weekend was short ribs. We did some chuck short ribs, and that's kind of one of my favorite things to cook lately. I just love uh, a good coffee chipotle short rib. Ooh, nice. Yeah, me too. I'm a huge fan of short ribs. I just did some, ooh, maybe last weekend or the weekend before. Yeah, it's kind of hard to beat that. They're just so easy and, and so forgiving. Yeah. And you really go for that uh, for that combination of uh, chipotle and coffee, did you say? Yeah, so we've got a, a smoky chipotle rub that we like to use on on beef ribs. And, you know, that they can stand up to all of that flavor and earthiness, and it really brings the beef forward. So I, I tend to go pretty heavy on that and uh, give them a good dose. Nice. Good bit of spice in there too. I love it. Yeah. So what kind of barbecue do you have on your porch at the moment? So I've got three grills that are in rotation on the patio right now. We've got a YS640, uh, which is kind of my go-to daily pit. I've got a YS1500, which is what I smoke all my big meats in. And then I have a charcoal uh, hasty bake gourmet as well, that if I'm doing anything with charcoal, I usually fire up the old hasty. Interesting. I'm not sure I've heard of the hasty bake. Is that like a well-established brand in the States? Like, is it a... Is it new to the scene or is it a like a PK Weber type, uh, you know, long history barbecue? It is a long history uh, barbecue. It is one of those uh, cookers. It's actually, they're made in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they uh, produce since the late 40s. Uh, so there's, but there's kind of just a cult following for them. Uh, you'll see them all over Oklahoma and the Midwest. But that was, uh, believe it or not, the pit that I learned on was a hasty bake. So I've got a soft spot for them. And it's my favorite charcoal grill by far. Um, really cool, versatile charcoal pits. So um, I've always kind of had one around. And so if I'm doing anything with charcoal or, you know, if I want to make a porchetta or something on a rotis right over the coals, I'm breaking that guy out. Um it's, it's just, uh, it's a really cool charcoal pit. So um, if I'm running any kind of charcoal, I'm using that. And then other than that, I've got my trusty pair of pellets that I do everything else on. Yeah, so if they've been around since the late 40s, then they would even outdate the uh, the PK and the Weber. I know the PK is 1952, and I think the Weber's about the same. Yeah, so I didn't know the dates of the first Webers. I mean, you always had a kettle around, but I hadn't done a lot of research on them, but yeah, the PKs were definitely early fifties. So yeah, this predates those. Um, and the Hasty's a, an interesting cooker because the, the charcoal bed raises and lowers inside the pit. You can grill and it's also got a diffuser that you slide in for smoking. Um, they, they really kind of even back then looked at it as a charcoal oven. And so you could smoke, bake, roast, uh, do everything in it. Um, and that, ha- and you know, I learned to cook on that pit, so I've got a soft spot for it. But uh, they are uh, great uh, cookers made in Tulsa. Yeah, wow. I'm definitely going to have to check them out. So tell me your barbecue superhero origin story. Where did it all start for you? Yeah, so, gosh, it's it's been 
ages now. We, I was just trying to think of, of when I actually really started trying to do stuff. And it was with my dad and uncle. So if you think back uh, into the late 80s and early 90s when KCBS was really forming up and, and all of that, prior to what you think of as competition barbecue today, there were still barbecue competitions, but they typically were run by the event organizer. They may or may not have shared the same rule sets. Um, and prize money was pretty much non-existent. Uh, you were typically trying to raise money for something like say the junior college needed new soccer uniforms or football uniforms. Um, the fire department needs a new concrete saw. Um, so you get together, cook the contest. Um, all the entry fees were going to donations uh, for those events. And if there was a prize, it was typically some kind of an in-kind thing, like maybe the grocery store donated a gift card or, or the local hardware store donated a, uh, some, something that they had on the shelf. So you, you might get a prize out of it, but you weren't getting a $10,000 purse or anything like that. Um, and, and as I said, it was usually driving to get some type of donation together for something that the community needed, whether it was a, you know, like I said, those uniforms or concrete saw, or you name it. And so my dad, uncle, and several of their friends had a team that would go compete at uh, the handful of those types of events. And, you know, you, I don't know how you and, and your dad were, but with, as a young guy growing up, you know, I had a lot of, uh, I wouldn't call it pressure, but expectation around performance, right? you know, do your best, work hard, all of those things. So, you know, when you're, when you're in school and, and cutting up as a kid, uh, that tends to be the, the focus. Um, but what I found is, and is barbecue is one of those areas where dad was work hard, play hard. So if, if we weren't, you know, working and you're at one of those events, it was a little bit lower key and I got to spend some time kind of in a different environment. So I really was uh, started out to just kind of hang out with my dad, my uncle, and uh, and some of those family friends and, and just kind of fell into the food side of it because of that. Um, and then as, as they started letting me do more in the kitchen uh, in those events, the barbecue kind of took hold and, and I ran with it from there, but it really was about just getting uh, some time out of father son mode and into more of a, hanging out mode with my dad. Mate, that's what I love about barbecue. There's just so many stories of, of barbecue being bonding time. I just love it. Well, and, and, and so that's kind of, uh, you know, in general, that bonding and, and making friends, helping people, uh, that, that was kind of my origin. So it's interesting uh, that, you know, when I, when I look at competitions today, I still look at the fact that if I'm going to some place new or I'm going to uh, a new event, you know, I, I typically don't look at the prize purse first or anything. I'm, I want to go meet people and find those new friends. That was the other thing that, you know, really intrigued me about it is. So there were a handful of events that were outside of Kansas City. Uh, even back then, Frisco, Colorado had a big barbecue event that the Rotary puts on. Um, and so they would travel to that and we would have people, you know, show up at the house in Kansas city for maybe a, a chief's football game. 
uh, Chiefs Denver game. And it's like, oh, you know, and you you get introduced to person X and, oh, it's a person that I met at the Frisco contest or a person that I met at the Lenexa barbecue battle or a person that I met. And so even regionally, you would be making friends that become friends for, you know, for life uh, kind of a thing. And so that was one of my early reasons for wanting to get out and compete and, and do that was to travel and meet a lot of people. And it's cool because pretty much anywhere in the country now, I've got a place I can drop my head if I need to. Uh, we've just made friends all over uh, and all over the globe, as you know, um, pretty amazing to be able to roll in and, and, and have a, a base of folks that you can talk to that'll help you. Um, and, uh, and, and have them anywhere in the world. It's, it's pretty wild. And I know there's lots of avocations that allow that, like you talk to people that do racing or boating or, and, and you get that kind of camaraderie. Uh, but yeah, barbecue really does bring those least common denominators of, of kind of food and friendship to the, to the table, uh, and, and make that to me, uh, pretty special. Absolutely, mate. Very nicely said. So you got into competition barbecue and you've since developed Smoke on Wheels, which is a, it's a business with various classes and products all that and all that available online. Walk us through that journey. Yeah. So as I said, I was my, my dad's and uncle's team was called the Hody Does, and they're kind of one of those old school Kansas City barbecue teams. And as, as I was cooking with them and we started to do better, um, you know, you'd start to get a call here and there. You'd start to, as competitions were growing, they were wanting to cook a little less and I was wanting to cook more. As I said, I really got into the food side of it kind of as a adjunct to just wanting to hang out. And so as, as I was wanting to cook more, uh, my brother-in-law or my brother-in-law now at the time, he was uh, my sister's boyfriend. I believe we had first started talking about kind of doing some cooking and, uh, one of those hoodie dough pits that I used to cook on, uh, they said, Hey, we'll, we're going to donate this thing to you to clean up and you've got a, you'll have a pit for smoke on wheels. And at the time it wasn't smoke on wheels. We were trying to find a name. Uh, we were going, Oh, maybe we'll be a house divided because they went to Kansas state university. I went to KU, you know, we tossed around some names and literally the, the way we got our name was we were actually cooking for a charity event. And it was pouring down rain. So we lit the cooker uh, at the house and we're just running across the town to the park. And we got pulled over and stopped uh, because the pit was smoking. And, you know, hey, do you know your, your pit's on fire? <laughs> yeah, we know. We're trying to get it hot, man. We're trying to get it hot. We got to cook for this event and it's pouring down rain. So we're just trying to get it hot. And then, you know, you go a little further and, hey, hey, your pit's on fire. And, uh, my sister said, oh, you know, blah, 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 smoke on wheels. And we all kind of went, ooh, I like that, smoke on wheels. And that kind of became the name. And our first logo was kind of a pit with squealing tires and the fire coming out of the, the firebox and the stack because it was uh, that was kind of the impetus for the name. So, yeah, we started that. And, again, it was, it was really uh, just meet people and have a good time and do that. But it, it grew, and as we won and – and did more of that, you know, you get people that start to say, Oh, where can I get your stuff? And it's like, Ooh, I don't have stuff. I need stuff. Um, 
and and you see that more and more somebody would say hey how did you do that how do you how do you get your consistency to xyz um and so you start whether you realize it or not you know you develop your profiles you develop your processes uh and then you start to share those and it kind of at least for us um it kind of became de facto that we would help new teams um i did a lot of training i'm an i'm an engineer and a product person by trade uh so i'm used to doing a lot of training and i'm very detailed in my work so i have good processes and i'm able to share them i do that kind of in my daily vocation so starting to teach barbecue and explain to people why things work the way they do and all that came second nature so we started to build those uh classes and, and do some of that work and then you know as i said you constantly get barraged with oh man that was great where can i get that and you have to start thinking about well what are the things in this food that make it uniquely mine and so we had some marinades we had some sauces we had some things that we were doing that were probably different and so that's kind of what we brought to market first because people asked um i'd never thought if you would have told me 25 years ago uh when we were starting to mess around with this stuff that I'd be teaching, you know, barbecue classes around the globe and have products available in 13 countries and you you could have never told me that that is what cooking, you know, barbecue to to meet a few people would would take you. Um having said that, you know, it is a, it's a grind to go do that. You've got to put the work in too. So it's not super it's not easy to go make that um but if you'd have said that that was the path that the, the river would have taken us down to to get to uh I'd have never believed it then and still have to uh you know look back and go wow what a ride yeah yeah so tell us a bit about that grind what's a day like for you so um I typically try and uh You know, we do various classes at different venues. Uh we've got our products out which uh we move through distribution now and then uh we do different charity events and work with different organizations there. So it, a lot of it is uh you know networking, managing those relationships, trying to find the right things to get involved in. Um and for me, um I kind of, you know, I have my multiple lives i've got uh, what we call my 9 to 5 and we call smoke on wheels the 5 to 9 um <laughs> because i still uh, i still work in in product management for for sprint here in the us so you know that that gets my 9 to 5 day and then evenings weekends and every other minute goes to you know course development for smoke on wheels helping out at events uh so like for example this week um we're supporting uh Culinary Fight Club on Tuesday. Uh I'm down here in Wichita at All Things Barbecue this weekend teaching classes. Uh so I'm in Wichita but my wife was at a a, a World Food Championship steak event helping out there. Um and then, you know, so we we do different things uh, at different events throughout the week and then I'm teaching on the weekends usually or occasionally competing still. We don't compete as much as we used to. uh but we still get out and compete you know five or six times a year uh we've had uh, the hasty bake contest in Tulsa we've had uh, Marysville 
uh, Osage City this year. Um, we've got, let's see, what's coming up? Our our next two big contests will be Shawnee and the Royal. So, you know, other than that, we're, we're out teaching. And, of course, I'll be uh, over on your side of the planet uh, here in, at the end of July. We're going to be teaching in Perth and back at Burley, which is super exciting. Um, so can't wait to, to do that. Yeah, let's just hope we get a bit better weather this year than last year. <laughs> well, you know, the, the weather is relative because uh, here it's going to be 100 degrees and and uh, pretty uh, humid and nasty. And anytime you're on the beach, even if it's cool and wet, I think I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool and wet still not too bad. Blowing a monsoon, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we just had a tornado blow through not that long ago. I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You're used to it then. Yeah. So the first time I, I saw you or, or, or heard the name Andy Groneman was when you came out to Australia for MasterChef. You were teaching competitors about ribs. How did that opportunity come about? So that was my my second trip over. Um, and it was that was a pretty cool opportunity that just kind of, fell into place. We were going to be over anyway for about a month doing uh, some work. And I'd come over uh, previously for that Redheads Gourmet Barbecue Festival. I don't know if you remember when the St. Kilda at the park there, they, it was kind of the first public barbecue event. Um, Real Pro had just started importing Yoders, uh, Traeger was just kind of out there. Hark was, was really starting to make a push for barbecue pits uh, with the tri-fire, I think, is what they had out at the time. Um, like, I mean, if we go back that far, um, you know, we had Chris and, and Jess were kind of the other two uh, what I'd call celebrity food folks at the time. You know, she had the Burger Mary blog, and, and Chris had his Urban Griller thing going, I'd never met any of, of them before, and they were kind of the other two judges at this particular event. Um, so that was kind of my introduction at the early days of of kind of what's become barbecue in Australia. Well, I was at that first event. I was doing some teaching um, and met a bunch of great people again, and so that kind of paved the way for another trip back. Uh, and we planned out about a month of, of stuff to happen. Uh, we were going to do some stuff at the National Wine Center in Adelaide. We were going to do some stuff at Barbecues Plus in Melbourne. Um, and the, the kind of big hinchpin event was going to be an event with Gary Megan at his 64 Sutton uh, location. And we had gotten together with Gary McBean, uh, who is just the most amazing guy as a, as a person, as a butcher, um, just awesome guy, and we were the smoker and the butcher, and it was just if you want to think about like the coolest possible barbecue event ever, um, we were bringing whole sides of meat into the dining room, whole animals, right into the dining room, hanging them from hooks, and Gary was breaking down that animal giving me the broken down parts. I was breaking it down further into the cut that you're going to actually barbecue and eat. And then we were talking about the cooking process 
And so you've got McBean and myself, and then Gary Megan is essentially emceeing us and acting as the, uh, um, you know, kind of commentator, if you will, as we would go back to the kitchen with a camera and show them what we were doing. And we're in the middle of the dining room breaking down animals on Gary's big, huge wood block. Um, <laughs> absolutely insane event. And we did two of them. Um, but Gary Megan had wanted to do a barbecue MasterChef episode um, for quite a while. He'd been pitching them on the idea of doing that, but the logistics of it, I mean, you've seen MasterChef. Those are typically quick fire type yeah. um, events, right? And so to do anything that would equate to a barbecue, the, probably the quickest thing you could do is ribs, right? Um, or maybe some chicken or something. Uh, you're not going to smoke pork shoulder or brisket or anything in the amount of time that we could give them in a, in a TV show setting like that. So, so Gary sold them on this idea of doing ribs. And I think it kind of came together right at the last minute. And after we had done these events at his venue, he really sold them on some of the concepts of how that could work. And I think they gave it a green light right at the end because we were originally, we'd had it kind of, you know, slated as a possibility that we might get to do do that. But we also were uh, thinking we might try and do a, a little bit of a sail excursion with Tony Spencer uh, and, and get out a little bit too. And right at the kind of last week, they said, all right, we've got the green light. Let's go do this thing. Um, and kudos to, you know, David Sprigg and, and everybody that put that together with Gary to get all the pits there and get, and, you know, trying to manufacture the ribs at that point, right? Because again, there were not pork spare ribs and, and things like what we get here uh, available yet there because you're the, the hogs are smaller and, you know, belly's king. So you've got really thin ribs typically. Uh, and so to produce those, you know, Coles was cutting those ribs to spec. You know, I spec'd out what we needed to have to make it authentic because Gary's like, we want to do, you know, a true Kansas City style barbecue. So, you know, they've, they're they in a trailer cutting ribs. Um, pretty, pretty amazing experience. And of course, the, the funny part of that was everybody tried to go buy those ribs the next day and blew up Cole's website because they, they were complaining because you couldn't get them because that was the deal, right? You were supposed to get anything that was on that show. You can walk into Cole's and buy it and reproduce it yourself, right? You couldn't get those ribs. So we broke the internet. It was awesome. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. That was very controversial. Yeah, right? So, uh, but the experience was amazing and it all came together from those 64 Sutton, the smoker and butcher events that uh, Gary McBean and I did with Gary Megan. And, you know, Megan is just, he's, he's an amazing individual. He's such a wealth of knowledge and so down to earth and such a great just person in general. Um, he, he has this, it, getting to spend time with him from a commercial perspective at, the 64 Sutton venue, right? Cause he's got his chef hat on. Then it's, it's his, you know, it was his catering and uh, big kitchen event space. Uh, and then to be able to work with him in a production and television mode, like on master chef. I mean, he really, uh, 
he's just got it in spades in every aspect of, of that business and just learned a ton from him and how to interact with the folks and maximize the time on the TV show. Um, just pretty amazing stuff. Uh, great experience. And like I said, because of the, the other events, we kind of fell into that awesome uh, opportunity with MasterChef. And, you know, I've talked to them and said, all right, it's time to do another barbecue episode. We need to, <laughs> we need to rekindle that. I would love, to, I would love to come back and do a, uh, another one and see, see what they want to tackle. Uh, it was it was a great experience and, and a great group of people to work with. Yeah, absolutely. One question I got to ask though is, how did you fight the urge to get like a one meter ruler and then like a nineteen sixties school teacher just smack those contestants on the knuckles every time they kept opening the smoker? Oh, I know, right? I, I felt so bad uh, for the gals because they, you know, they they let the pit run out of pellets. Oh, um, that's right. So they were kind of <laughs> under the gun. They, they were under the gun and I just remember that one, uh, one, you know, and it generated a meme that still pops up on the internet of that gal, that old bird that was standing there at the front of the line, just staring him down. Oh yeah. Oh. I mean, that, that was hilarious. That thing showed up as a meme for ages. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was cranky. It is, it, it's, it's hard not to want to look and check and see what's going on. Right. But truly that is one of the tenets of cooking. Like let it, you've got to let it be the, the smoke in the pit, the steam in the pit, all of that moving around and the grease dripping and that's creating an environment. And every time you open it, you're resetting that environment. Uh, and because of the tight timelines, they really didn't have time to, do what they needed to do if they were going to open those pits. So I, I was on them about that because, you know, it, they're going to be serving everybody that comes rushing in and the ribs in that timeline that they had would have been barely done. You would have, if you, if everything went great with your cook, they'd be ready and you'd be good to go. If you had any kind of screw up, you could be behind uh, and kind of finishing on the fly which some of them were doing and that's fine, but it, it was a, it's a tough, it was a tough environment to cook in and then have to serve everybody uh, on something that you haven't done before in a new style of cooking in a pit you've never used. Um, I would venture to say that there was probably two people there that had done any pit style cooking uh, before. And so to, to a lot of them, that was a completely foreign style. Um, and so they had to just keep opening that pit. But what a great experience and, and an awesome uh, learning experience on both sides. I got to kind of see how that machine works and the pressure cooker that some of those uh, teams get into. And they got to learn a little bit about barbecue. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was great to watch. And I, I think it really sort of – it was one of the first for me sort of sparks of barbecue entering the mainstream. So – for me, that that's a real turning point in my in my memory for the scene in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, when I we look back and talk about some of that stuff as you do, and you know, I I, I remember that Redheads Gourmet event. Master Chef was a huge. I mean, that's really the first thing that opened it up to everybody, right? That's 
the viewership of that show um, is is insane from a global perspective. Like, I don't believe the U.S. MasterChef gets the viewership that Australian MasterChef does. Um, so, so the visibility, uh, putting barbecue on a stage like that, and you know, I would say most people could grill a snag, right? Everybody's got a grill on their deck. Nobody had seen you do to ribs what those guys were doing to ribs. I think it opened up a ton of eyes to people that either were food people or people that weren't that watched the show for the drama and said, wow, I, that's something that's interesting to me. Um, I really do think that was a, a huge turning point and kudos to Gary for making that happen. Uh, Cause I think it, it, it was a big moment for barbecue uh, becoming the cuisine that it's becoming in Australia. And look at all the stuff since then, right? Look at how crazy it's gotten since. <laughs> yeah, we've had um, two iterations of TV shows that have gone uh, entire series now. And in fact, the, the the latest one just got greenlit for a second season, which is just phenomenal for that to be able to happen here in Australia. Yeah. So for all your travels, for all the things that you've done, what would be the funniest story that you could share with us? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I love a story that starts I mean, with that. <laughs> so, cause there's, we, we just, it seems like every contest ends up or any, any trip event has some story like that. Like we were just talking about the crazy gal that turned into a meme and the, you know, blowing up the internet. And those, I mean, there's every, every single event seems to have some tie to probably the, the funniest one for me, um, and I don't know, there's so many. We've, you know, uh, gosh, it's been almost, you know, we've been doing this for 25 years now, so there's a lot of good stories. But I remember one of the one of the first times right after I was really, uh, when I, there's a contest that I've cooked, you know, at least 15 times in Loring, Missouri. <coughs> and actually, I've missed it the last, few years, the last three years, because I've come to Burley. It's the same weekend as Burley. Um, and it's my birthday weekend, typically also. I don't know if you remember that, but, you know, we, we've we had uh, a few birthday parties out at Burley, too. We so have. This particular <laughs> one, I think, it was, <laughs> I think it was my 35th. So it's probably 10, 10 years ago now back at Lori. And... We, we were having a pretty big throwdown uh, and it, it's one of those things where, you know, somebody will come by and they want to have a birthday shot with you or whatever. Well, they're having one, but you've had one and then one with whoever else came by and one with whoever else came by. And, uh, right. So it's, uh, and, and back then we were competing, you know, 25 times a year or so, which was big back then. Now, you know, teams are competing 40, 50 times a year, uh, I don't know how anybody can make a commitment to travel and compete that much. Um, I could never uh, spend that amount of time on the road for competitions, but 25 was a big commitment back in the day. Um, and we did that. And so there were a lot of teams that we were seeing on a regular basis. So this was getting to be a pretty good party. And we did a big, um, I, I would usually cook some type of a big 
dinner. Like we'd pick a theme and run with it. Like we were doing street tacos or we did grandma's kitchen and did like fried pork chops and all of that stuff. Well, this particular year we were doing a uh, crab boil. So we had crawfish and, you know, all of the stuff and the big, huge pots and we were doing a big boil and uh, we threw down dinner uh, for everybody at the spot. Well, like I said, there was plenty of shot drinking and boozing going on. And so it got pretty uh, out of bounds. Like I was in great shape. Let me tell you, I, I can admit it. And uh, <laughs> so, so the, the theory was, is that I was not going to make my turn ins the next day. They're like, yeah, he's, he's not, it's not happening. You know, it's great that he had a good birthday party, but it's going to suck that he's not going to be able to turn any meat in tomorrow. And uh, somehow I got the, the big meats out of the pit, but it, at, uh, you know, six the next morning, I was up working my, my stuff and nobody could believe I ended up winning the contest, but everybody was like ready to come nurse me back the next day. They're coming. What are you doing? Are you, you're cooking. <laughs> so I had some amazing recuperative power uh, and I ended up going from my last to first. Uh, somehow that weekend and there were lots of stories and photos that hopefully never uh, surfaced because we didn't have uh, the full-blown iPhones back then so hopefully they're low-res photos and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they're suitably blurry and <laughs> yeah exactly but uh, we ended up you know nobody uh, thought that we were going to be able to pull off a cook the next day and we ended up winning the contest so it was it was pretty awesome to to snap back from that. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the real power of barbecue. <laughs> That's right. This is Todd from Building the Name of, and you're listening to Smoking Hot Confessions. and operated since 2016, Harvey's Kitchen and Barbecue pride themselves on crafting handmade, high-quality, flavor-packed barbecue rubs and dusts for people who love to roast, grill, and barbecue. Their high-quality ingredients create outstanding products that help everyone create delicious meals, whether they're a barbecue guru or just stepping into the pit yard for the first time. Particularly exciting is their recently released Signature Dusts. These Signature Dusts are flavor-packed and ready to add a real punch to your barbecue. Their application is wide, having been designed for low and slow, hot and fast, and food trucks. Just cook your meats, shake on the Signature Dust, and let it combine with the natural meat juices to create some incredible flavor combinations. To check out the full range of rubs, flavored salts, and of course, the Signature Dusts, and so much more, head on over to harveyskitchen.com.au. That's harveyskitchen.com.au. Okie dokie, Andy. So you're from Kansas City, and so I thought you'd be the best person to talk to about Kansas City-style barbecue and what makes it different from other styles. So can we kick things off with the general overview of Kansas City-style barbecue? Sure. Um, so, you know, Kansas City barbecue is really... Uh, I think the idea is balanced, right? It's it's sweet, spicy, tangy, smoky. Um, probably the the thing that gets the biggest um, notoriety outside of like a, 
a meat like a burnt end or something is the sauce, right? It's a it's a sweet and smoky and spicy sauce. So that's the stuff. Um, but the original ones were not, you know, necessarily that way. You're ta- if you talk about kind of a, original Kansas City barbecue, you know, the Perry Bryant Gates uh, uh, names. You're you're talking about you know slabs of ribs on an open outdoor pit. Um, with a with that tangy red sauce on them uh, to finish, right on an open pit. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, a lot of these guys were cooking uh, on on kind of charcoal brick pits back in the day. Um, although you you think about you know so we call it Kansas City style barbecue. Kansas City has what's interesting about Kansas City barbecue is pork, beef, chicken, lamb. You know, you name it, turkey, sausage, all of those meats hit the table uh, in Kansas City. You look at Texas or the Carolinas or or other areas, there's usually some one of those meats jumps to the to the front. Right. Like you think about Texas barbecue and brisket immediately comes to mind. You think about Carolina and it's a pig picking. Right. You've got all of these things that kind of pop into your head with Kansas city. It's really, you know, Kansas city that, like I said, that first meat that you were seeing come out of a lot of those restaurants were ribs. Um, but you know, brisket is definitely tied to that burn ends. Um, so you've got all of the different meats kind of in Kansas city where, and you know, we're a crossroads. So we were picking up some of that stuff from Memphis's and other places and it all melds, together into Kansas City in the early 1900s, which is pretty cool. Very cool. Very cool. So I've got a bit of a, a question that might seem a little bit silly, but just bear with me for a second. So Kansas City, there's a river running right through the middle, and on one side is Kansas City, Missouri, and on the other side is Kansas City, Kansas. So is there a difference in barbecue between those two, like, or is it just one Kansas City style? So I would say it's nuanced. The I mean, if you think about that original barbecue that was happening at 18th and Vine and down in the in the bottoms area, which is Kansas City, Missouri, um, and and we're dating, you know, back to the to the early 1900s. There, um, you know, I think probably, you know, Henry Perry, who's kind of you you look at what we call Kansas city barbecue. And that's kind of the original, uh, barbecue, uh, right around that 18th and vine area. And then all of the restaurants that kind of came out of that on the Missouri side. So you had Bryant's, right? Arthur Bryant's and you had Gates and sons barbecue. Uh, all of those folks kind of came out of that Perry envelope. So, the the food from that side of the tracks was very similar in terms of makeup, right? It was kind of a tomatoy sauce that had a little bit of grit to it because you had some celery and things in it, uh, and then it, it just had that little bit of, of of bite. Not my favorite kind of sauce, uh, but that was that's kind of that style that came out of those shops uh, on the Kansas side of the house, probably the the oldest barbecue place that I can think of is Rosedale barbecue. And what's interesting about Rosedale is, and they've been around for, I don't know, 80 some years now, um, still owned by the same 
family, which is kind of cool, but they wow, did not man. really sauce their, they didn't sauce their meat at all. Um, and, and we were talking about kind of, if you walk into a Gates today, they still have those brick charcoal pits in the stores. They don't do a lot of the big meat cooking on those anymore. Uh, they're doing the hotter meats and finishing everything in the brick pits. They, they use some more conventional commercial equipment these days, but, um, in general, you know, like Rosedale, I, they've been kind of touted as maybe one of the original uh, folks to come up with the idea of a rotisserie in the barbecue pit to keep the cooking even. Uh, and so when you think about that and being around in the 30s and and kind of that style of cooking, they were innovating even back then. And you know, But they did not put sauce on their meat, and they still don't today. So if you walk into Rosedale Barbecue, they're going to, you know, give you whatever meat you order and you sauce it yourself if you want. They've got a great sauce uh, that's got all kinds of different seasonings and spice in it. And uh, people really like that the Rosedale sauce by itself or with a little bit of their slaw or on a burn-in sandwich or something, right? But you don't you don't get your meat sauced there. So that, would, to me, is probably the biggest difference uh, and even if you go into some of the other restaurants, like if, if you walk into Brobeck's in Leewood, they've got a, a bunch of different sauces. They don't sauce the meat for you. So from a Kansas to Missouri side, I would say a lot of the flavors and the rubs and all of that are the same. How, how much you sauce your meat might be the biggest difference. Uh, but even even at a Gates or Bryant's, you can order a, a dry slab instead of a, they, they would just give you a, a wet slab, right, with sauce on it if you didn't specifically ask but if you ask for a dry slab you'll get one which that's kind of my if i'm gonna gates is my favorite kind of old school casey mo barbecue restaurant and we go to the one down at 10th and state and i like to just get a dry slab of spare ribs it's kind of my favorite thing from there um but yeah there's so there's a little bit of difference is that because you like to control the amount of sauce on them or yeah i like to control the sauce so i get the flavor of the meat um, I want to see what the what the smoke and the seasonings done with the meat. So I like to control the control the sauce myself. Um, so that's probably one of the one of the bigger differences. But there's just so it's it's grown so much. I mean, there's hundreds of barbecue restaurants just in the Kansas City area now. Um, really proliferated out, and you've got a, a, a full mix of, of everything you could want. That old school style. Uh, of cooking all the way up to what I would call, um, you know, a very highly inspired culinary uh, style of cooking that would then integrate barbecue into it. You look at restaurants like uh, Rye and Q39 and, and some of those places that are really elevating barbecue uh, into their cuisine as a high-end dining experience. It's pretty cool stuff that the is going on in in barbecue and you can walk into a place like that or you can still go to uh, kind of what i call a cool old school countertop style barbecue like slaps uh, which you know crushing it on the barbecue circuit uh great guys joe pierce is awesome uh, and they've opened their restaurant and it is that style of competition barbecue in a traditional uh, setting like a you know a, a diner countertop style setting and they got a line out the door every day so you can go sit in the old shed or you can go sit the fine dining and, and 
get get an, a barbecue experience, which is pretty wild that you can take that style of cooking and have it so pervasively go from, you know, a, a walk up countertop to, you know, white linen tablecloth and uh, pretty neat to see how much that has grown and expanded. Yeah. Slaps was one of the places that they took us to on the bus tour for the MBBQA and it was just phenomenal. Yeah. How many places did you guys get to hit on that tour? I didn't make the bus, but. Uh, we went to three. So we went to, we kicked things off at um, Plowboys and uh, Todd gave us a bit of a tour around Plowboys and got to look at the monstrous sized smokers he's got in there. And um, from there we went to Slaps and uh, the, the food there was just just incredible. And then we went to the original Joe's in the gas station. Yeah, that's a great cross-section of Kansas City barbecue right there. I mean, Joe's is another original, what I would call Kansas City, Kansas side you know, establishment and they, they're obviously from a longevity perspective and all of that, churning out amazing food, uh, day in and day out at the gas station at all their locations. You know, I would say Todd's the next turn of that kind of guard, right? He's, as I'm sure you're aware, and Todd and I go back ages. He's a great friend. Um, he's absolutely crushing it. Um, just the attention to detail in the, in his places and the growth that he's experienced. Uh, it's great. And you see it in that blue Springs, like the process, you can see the processes at work. Todd's another one of those guys that comes out of the IT and kind of engineering world. Right. So you can see the process at work in his restaurant. It's pretty awesome. Um, and what a great staff and everything going on there. Um, and then, to hit slaps, which is probably the it's the newest of those three places, it it fits right in, right? And then, as you said, the food is is great there. So, three different takes on that, and three different ways of running those businesses, um, and phenomenal product out of all of them. So that's a cool cross section to go to go see. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I've got to actually do some write ups on each place from my website, but. Uh... I'm running a little bit behind on that, but yeah, I, I want to sort of put that message out there as well because it was just incredible. So looking at Kansas City style barbecue, if, if we were going to break it down and look at the individual components, is there a particular smoker style? So in Texas, you got your offset. In the Carolinas, you got the fire underneath and the whole hog on top. Is there a particular smoker style of Kansas City style barbecue? Yeah, so for the for the restaurants... Um, you know, like I said, you've kind of got that, if you think back to the original ones, they were those brick pits with the fire underneath, but you know, you look at Rosedale, even in the thirties was starting out with a rotisserie style pit. And I think you see those a lot uh, at the restaurants. You see a mix of offset and rotisserie, um, and, and commercially it makes sense to do that. Right. Um, but from a Kansas city style cooking, it, it's funny. Because the other thing that you know pops into mind usually is is KCBS and the the Barbecue Society. Well, that then your your gamut's wide open. You've got trash can cookers and pellet cookers and you name it. Um, and one of the interesting pits that comes out of Kansas City, of course, and 
we've got lots of stuff going on in, in Kansas. You know, we've got down here by Wichita in Yoder, Kansas, you've got Yoder producing pits. You've got, you know, Fast Eddie designing pellet cookers in Kansas City. Now he's, you know, obviously working with Cook Shack, and they have been producing his pits for a long time. Um, so there's lots of Kansas City uh, innovation in, in cookers out there, pretty cool stuff. That's interesting. So Kansas City is really pushing the envelope. Yeah, I would say uh, you, you see some interesting things over the years come out of KC um, or Kansas in general. I mean, you look at uh, what Yoder's been doing with the with the pellets, and and of course they produce great offset bits as well. Um, but me being a technology guy, and, and I've cooked on all of the offsets. My original pit was an old. Uh, you know, Oklahoma Joe style uh, of cooker. We had a big offset. We had Kingfishers out of Oklahoma that we cooked on, which are big rotisserie offsets. Um, moved into pellets and I've cooked on FECs and Louisiana's. And, you know, we made our own for quite a while. We'd take a, uh, you know, a fan and an old analog oven controller and an auger motor and you could you could build your own pit we built a couple of those out of old proofing ovens old you know like grade school stainless you know food service proofing ovens and turned them into you know pellet pits wow um, so 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 there's there's all kinds of fun stuff uh, you can do you don't you you still see a little bit of uh of that going on i know that was one of the cool things about australian barbecue that i liked was uh you get that wave of everybody trying to figure out how to build a pit, right? So you've seen all these different iterations of offsets and reverse flows and cabinet cookers and, and, you know, and then born out of that are some of the cool pits like radar hills and stuff that you see uh, that they're actually, you know, they were manufactured. Uh, but I, I love to see all the stuff that the ingenuity that people put into it themselves. Cause if you, design it and cook on it and then figure out what you want to change and have those iterations. There's some pretty cool, you know, handmade stuff floating around right now that a decade from now you won't see because all of the pit manufacturers will have their stuff kind of everywhere. Like you see a lot of people on, you know, branded pits now. Uh, back then everybody was, you know, there were a few, branded pits out there, but you saw a lot of homemade stuff, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, and, and we played around and made a lot of things over the years as well and tweaked, tweaked pits that existed and things like that, moved fireboxes around, punched out augers and, and used bigger motors so you could get more fire and things like that. Um, yeah, we don't sort of see too many of that um, of that homemade style smoker sort of around much anymore in Australia either. It's kind of a it's kind of sad because, as you said, I I love seeing all the creativity that goes into it. So, from the smoker, then where do we go in terms of fuels and woods? So around here, and I would say it's the same anywhere, right? You use uh, the woods that are plentiful to you. So you see a lot of oak, pecan, hickory here in the Midwest. Uh, so Kansas City, you know, for me, pecans kind of my favorite. There's pecan groves all around uh, the city area here, so it's plentiful. But we've got lots of hickory and oak, too. So I would say, you know, you'll see hickory and, and post oak as kind of your standards. And a lot of the restaurants use, you know, are burning oak and hickory. Uh, so that's probably the predominant flavor. 
uh, that you'll see from a wood perspective. Yeah, very interesting because Texas sort of goes with with post oak a lot. The the people I talk to in Texas are all they all rave about post oak. So that's fascinating to hear that uh, that Kansas City uses a lot of pecan. It's it's one of my favorites too. I really like the uh, the, the color that it gives to the meat. Yeah, and you know it's the other thing you see a lot of in Texas, especially in their grilling, is mesquite, right? Because it's so plentiful. Um, and so between between the the woods that are available and, and the flavors that you get out of them, right? It's like you show up over on your side of the pond. And it's like, hmm, what are we going to cook with? Oh, we got iron bark available. Let's run with that and see what that does. Um, so you're, you can figure out the ways to maximize the, the right flavors out of the wood that's available. You can, you can uh, run, you see a lot of oak and especially, yeah, that post oak in, in Texas is, is pretty popular. Um, we, I think we see a lot of, of the oak and hickory and pecan kind of blended up here just because there's so much of it. Yeah, it's good to get a nice mix in there as well to sort of balance all that out. So we've already talked about how um, Kansas City sort of differentiates itself because it sort of it, it embraces all the different types of proteins. You've run me through the different spice profiles before. We've talked about the sources. What are some classic Kansas City sides? Oh gosh, sides. Um, so what what is interesting is so you know we have burn ends which are um, essentially a protein, but a lot of times you order those as a you know as a side dish. You're going to get those with your meal because uh, you can order them that way. But from a side perspective, I mean mac and cheese is huge. Uh, doing like a, a, sm- a baked mac and cheese in your smoker, um, uh, cheesy corn, like just a, what, there's just so many different sides that kind of fit in there. A pit bean, like just a, a true good smoked in the pit beans uh, that have all of your scraps from the trimming in it. And there, oh man, there's just so many different uh kind of core sides there. So I would imagine at every restaurant you hit, you had some kind of a bean uh, dish as a side. Um, and talk, thinking about that, so I, I don't know, did you make it to Q39 when you were in town? No, I didn't. So they've got a regular pit bean, but we were kind of talking about how you can elevate to fine dining a little bit. He does a white bean cassoulet that he serves with like his smoked pork belly and he serves it as a standalone side. It is to die for. It's probably my favorite and it's a barbecued bean dish, but it is, it is not like a pit barrel bean. It is, it's more of an elevated and it's got, it's got that smokiness and richness from some of the belly fat and stuff, but it's a pretty amazing dish. Um, But it's just another take on, on like a, you know, a barbecue pit bean. So lots of, of good sides out there. Mac and cheese, though, is, 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 the, is probably the one that, like, if our family's walking into a barbecue place, I know my girls always look for, you know, what's their mac and cheese? Like, that's the, are they legit? Do they have a good mac and cheese? That's kind of the first thing they look for. Beans would be kind of second. And, you know, a good, a good slaw, and you get the full gamut 
on that, right? Whether it's a vinegar based or kind of a more uh, sweet slaw, I, I go for the vinegar based slaws myself. But uh, yeah, there's, you know, the sides are hopping for sure. Speaking of slaw, I was flying out of Dallas and we stopped at this place for dinner. It was not like a barbecue place. It was like a, was claiming to be like a Cajun Creole type place. And they had a kimchi based slaw. Ooh, that would be good. It was awesome. And I was really surprised. But yeah, it, it, it was it was really good. Really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I, do, I love that pungency of it. That'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did live in Korea for two years, though, and that pungency is not so nice the next day. <laughs> <laughs> there is such a thing as too much kimchi. <laughs> well, I'll let you have that one then. <laughs> so what connection is there, if any, between Kansas City-style barbecue and the KCBS proteins and styles that we see in competitions? Or have they have they developed independently? I would say that they started together and have kind of grown in their own ways. So specifically, if you think about pork, right, and, and a turn-in for pork, and you see pulled pork a lot, right? But the original, and if you go to any of those old restaurants we've been talking about, if you order a pork sandwich, you're going to get sliced pork. You're going to get shaved pork, Um it wasn't a pulled pork thing. That was not a Kansas City um, idea, right? So pulled pork was coming uh, from the east, and it worked its way into the competition barbecue stuff. But if you look back originally, you were serving sliced pork in a turn-in box, and not like thick money muscle slices like what we're talking about. You you might have uh, kind of what I'd call almost whole, you know, like butt patio steak style girth of a slice in terms of like it's probably four or five inches wide and it was more shaped it was not uh not what you see in a turn-in box today and over time that's changed uh so you see these kind of money muscle slices and you see the horn and and some of the tubes and things getting used you see the the that layer of meat that you know butt bacon that's in the fat cap. You see people kind of harvesting that out of the fat cap and putting that in the box uh, as their pull. Um, and originally that was not what you saw. Um, rib wise, I think you see a pendulum on that too. I think originally you saw a lot more baby backs and less spares because they were more compact. They'd sit in the box nicer. Uh, the judges might not want the messy fatty spare ribs and then you saw it move to spares and then kind of swing back i think you know we've had a 180 in ribs uh so perfect scoring ribs with baby backs and with spares so i I don't necessarily know that the judges care one way or the other but from a restaurant perspective i would say you know all your old traditional restaurants are serving spare ribs uh, and you can order baby backs but spares are kind of their standard um and now in and, you know, you've got, from an elevation perspective, the competition meats have all gone very high end, right? You're cooking with duroc or curabuda or different meats on beef. You're, you see a lot of Wagyu in the competitions now, right? You're not eating that at a barbecue restaurant. So I would say all of the proteins started in the same vein, but the competition proteins have, have elevated um, 
way above what you're going to get at a restaurant these days in terms of what people are, are cooking and turning in. But they all started in the same in the same place, right? You were trying to recreate or do better than what you liked at the restaurant. So brisket's always been in the mix. Um, you know, pork has always been in the mix. And it's interesting that just over time, pulled pork worked its way in. Like people started doing the pulled pork thing for a while. Um, and then of course, ribs. And we had a, you know, a lot of the barbecue restaurants, you'll see turkey on the menu. Um, and obviously we're turning in chicken for KCBS, but you could turn in Cornish game hen if you want, right? It's a, you've got options on the poultry category. So, but it, I would say they started together and have kind of grown slightly different over time. And because of the global nature of KCBS now, you see more trends outside of just Kansas City in the turn-in boxes. Like turning in horn and and uh, money muscle and chunks and pulled from different areas, that is definitely like a Memphis-style turn-in, right? You're kind of showing everything in the box. Um, and so that those have kind of crept together over time. I, I, originally, you weren't doing that in, in the boxes. Yeah, I guess that's natural that they would sort of uh, evolve that way. It's it's kind of fascinating to hear your your take on it after 25 years in, in amongst it. So, uh, yeah, very interesting stuff. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. What would be your top three tips for anyone wanting to get into Kansas City-style barbecue? Top three tips. Um, so cook, meaning don't just do it once, do it 20 times, 50 times. Um, get yourself familiar with it. You're, you're, you can't just do it once. Uh, second thing is start with a forgiving meat. So I would say pork shoulder, lamb shoulder, something that's going to have some fat in it that if you overcook it, you're not going to hurt yourself um, so that you, have, you can play with your timelines and things. So start with a big forgiving meat and then don't be afraid to overseason. Don't be afraid to overseason. Interesting. And when I say that, I say that because when you think about, let's say a four pound or five pound pork roast, right? It, most people, if this again, if you're starting, you might be a little apprehensive about really giving that thing a good coating of rub. But when you think about the surface area versus the amount of protein that's there, it's not that much seasoning. So you're going to feel like you're over seasoning. So don't hesitate to do that because you, you're not going to hurt that meat. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. If you're looking for your next barbecue smoker or grill, Jagged Woodfire has got what you need. Owners Julianne and Glenn are multiple award-winning barbecue competitors who've even traveled to the US to compete at the World Barbecue Championships in Houston, Texas. Based out of Perth and shipping nationwide, Jagged is one of the largest pit builders in the country and has an ever-growing lineup of meat cooking machinery. Not only do they have their now famous smoker ovens, they are also producing incredibly efficient gravity-fed cabinet smokers and some of the most stylish asado grills you're ever gonna see. 
Jagged is also well known for amazingly detailed custom work, ranging from backyard designs all the way to installations in commercial kitchens. Proudly Australian designed, owned and manufactured, you can find out more at jaggedwoodfired.com.au, spelled J-A-G-R-D. Once again, head to jaggedwoodfired.com.au, spelled J-A-G-R-D, to learn more. Alrighty, Andy, it's time for our lightning round. So I've got 10 quick questions here I'm going to throw at you, and you're going to give me one word or one sentence answers. How does that sound? Great. All right. What's your all-time favorite cut? Brisket. What's the best way to light charcoal? Chimney. Pork ribs, St. Louis, baby back, or spare? St. Louis. Who's been the biggest influence in your barbecue journey? Mm. Dad. Love it. Beautiful. Money muscle. Is it fantastic or is it overrated? Fantastic. (laughs) What is your nemesis cut, so the hardest thing for you to cook? Chicken is the devil meat. (laughs) That needs to be on a T-shirt. Love that. Um, What is one trick or tip you wish you'd known sooner? Wrap. The future. What do you think is going to be the next trend in barbecue? Oh. Next trend in barbecue. Oh, so you're stumping me now. There's so many things here. Uh, I'd say education. Ooh, classes and whatnot. Very interesting. Yeah. Steaks, direct grilling or reverse sear? Reverse sear. And if there were a fantasy barbecue league, who would you choose for your team? So I would have to say, um, gosh, I got to pick three guys to join my team. So Todd Johns for sure would be one Plowboys barbecue uh, because he's, he's about as good a barbecue buddy as as you could ever want. Uh, Kurt had diet fast lane barbecue out of uh, Sydney. Um, We're barbecue brothers from another mother too. So (laughs) I'd have to add Kurt to the mix. And then, then I'd probably have to say uh, one of the other, influential members that we didn't talk much about old old Bob Eikhoff, but uh, he's an original Hody Doe that was there with my dad and uncle. He was uh, in the kitchen a lot with me. I'd have to say I'd drag Bob out just for the, just for the fun of it. <laughs> I wanted to ask before, is there a story behind uh, Heidi Doe? Was that how you were saying it? Oh, so it's, you know, like uh, hold the door. Oh, Okay. Meaning you're always they're always running late. They're always doing something. So hold the door, Odie Doe. Ah, interesting. Same as Hodor from Game of Thrones. Yeah, no Game of Thrones reference. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, Andy. Look, mate, that's a wrap for the for this episode of the Smoking on Confessions podcast. So I'm going to turn the studio over to you now. Give some shout outs to whomever you'd like, and tell the listeners where they can track you down out on the interwebs. Well, shout out wise, uh, I'd like to say looking forward to seeing everybody over on that side of the planet here in July. Uh, we'll be at Burley and, and teaching in Perth. So come out and say hi. Have a cold one with us. Um, to everybody over here, you know, it's it's great to uh, have my wife and family and everybody supporting us. You can find us on the old interwebs at smokeonwheels.com. And if you're an Instagrammer or tweeter, because uh, you're twittering out there in the in the multiverse uh, at SOWBBQ, 
And of course, we're on Facebook as well at uh, Smoke on Wheels Barbecue. Perfect, mate. Perfect. Look, once again, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be part of the show. I realize that you're in Wichita doing all sorts of classes and things this weekend, and you're actually kicking off the weekend by spending your morning talking to me. So I really appreciate that, and best of luck with all your plans in the future. All right. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you later, Ben. And there you have it, family, an in-depth rundown on Kansas City-style barbecue. It is incredible just how nuanced these different styles are. Andy is one of the nicest guys in barbecue and he loves coming to Australia as we've heard about his lessons in Perth and, of course, being a guest of honour at the fabulous Burley Barbecue Championships. Many thanks and appreciation goes out to him for being a part of the show. Before I let you go, I want to remind you about our killer merch lineup, the Smoking Hot Confessions community on Facebook, and if you have a minute, it'd really help me out if you could subscribe, rate and review the show. The ratings and reviews trigger the algorithms and make Apple distribute the podcast further and wider, so they are really important and very much appreciated. And that's the end of the show. Till next time, take care of each other and keep on cueing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips and Ben's own confessions. Confessions.